Welcome to episode 37 of the Chew On Your Boot podcast and we're really excited about this one as Jess Trangove joins the show. Jess is a marathon runner who's competed at the 2012 and 2016 Olympics and won bronze medals at two Commonwealth Games in 2014 and 2018. We can't thank Jess enough for her time and we hope you guys enjoy it just as much as we did. Jess, welcome to the Chew On Your Boot podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. No, it's a pleasure. So we like to get a bit of a background on our guests. Can you tell us a bit about your childhood, growing up in South East, South Australia and a family that loved their sport? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I grew up in Narracourt. Um, so mum and dad moved there from Clare in 1987 and uh, my sister Abby was born almost two years later and then my brother um, four years after I was born. So um, Abby and Jack and um, yeah, my mum and dad, we, we loved our years in Narracourt and um, certainly it's a very sporty community and um, helped to, I guess, lay the foundations for... for uh, yeah, a sporty um, career to follow. So, um, yeah, mum's job was teaching swimming in our backyard. We had an indoor pool and uh, I helped out there with um, teaching the, the local kids how to swim and um, my dad's a vet. Uh, we loved footy and netball was probably our main sport growing up. We played for the Kaibi Tigers and um, obviously, yeah, at that point, girls couldn't play footy. I was a big netball fan. I loved running around in the midcourt. And uh, we also played basketball, tennis. Um, I did a bit of gymnastics and ballet, uh, little athletics. Uh, living in Narracourt, everything was, you know, 10 minutes away, basically. So we could really enjoy everything. And um, cross country was also a big event. Um, on the annual calendar at our primary school, Narracourt Primary, our um, deputy principal loved his cross country and we had a pine forest around our school. So uh, I sort of had success in the cross country and then not so much in the sprint. So I was always um, destined for more of an endurance, I think, career in sport. And um, I'm really grateful that cross country was a big deal through primary school because it's where I discovered my this love for running. And you mentioned that. Did you discover that passion for running at school cross countries and when did you realise it was something you wanted to excel in and make a career out of? Yeah, look, I have to admit my first ever race opportunity was um, in reception as a five or a six-year-old and I got really nervous and ended up um, pulling out at the last minute, sitting on the sidelines and um, the kids all got confused and chopped off a big section of the course so they had to run the race again in the afternoon and I decided to jump in I'd had a bit of jealousy <laughs> um, watching them and um, yeah that I guess that day onwards I, I did seem to just find my rhythm with the long distance races and um, um, had yeah I guess success at the school and the inter-school level and then in year five I went to my first state cross-country event and I think I came fourth or fifth and then um, in year seven I got my first gold medal at the state cross country and then went off to nationals and and managed to get a gold um, medal there and I guess that's when I realized that you know long distance running was something that um, I had I guess potential in but the nerves just sort of outweighed the benefits for me through school I really would 
I'd say weeks and months in advance, I'd, you know, lose sleep over it, feeling nervous, just knowing that it was going to hurt so much. I think I always went into a race knowing that I would give it everything and, and that inevitable pain is what made me nervous. So it wasn't until the age of 21 that I decided I really wanted to take a sport to the highest level and I was sort of hitting roadblocks with netball. I kept getting told, you know, you're too short and I couldn't quite crack into that next team that I was aiming for. So I thought, well, I've got more control over my destiny with running. You know, I I put in the hard work and I should improve and you can really measure your improvement. So Jack, my brother at that point, um, was about to be drafted um, to the Melbourne Demons. My sister was rowing for the Sports Institute and um, I think they just really inspired me to have a crack at a sport so that's when I stopped playing other sports to focus on running and um, ran my first marathon when I was 24. That's very interesting that you mentioned the nerves you felt before cross countries and those kind of things at a young age was that something you felt with all sports or just running? Uh, Mainly just running. Um, I was fortunate to play in a few grand finals and whatnot with netball and I'd have a like the nervous jitters, but it was more like an excited nervous. Yeah. And the same with basketball, you know, when there's a tense part in the match and you run onto the court, um, I was just so excited to get out there. Whereas with running, I was really dreading um, getting out there. I'd finish the race and I'd be on an absolute high and I'd be like, what's the next race I can sign up for? So it was these extremes of being incredibly nervous, not wanting to do it forcing myself to the start line and then getting into the race, pushing through levels of discomfort that you don't think you're going to be able to get through and then crossing the line, feeling so satisfied and thinking, yeah, that was all worth it. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. You mentioned your siblings, Jack and Abby. Um, Jack obviously played AFL for Melbourne and Port Adelaide and you touched on Abby was a state rower. Um, Was there a competitiveness between you all that helped I suppose, find you guys find extra motivation and drive in your chosen sports? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think from a young age, you know, I was the the eldest sibling, so um, we'd play a bit of basketball in the backyard. We'd, um, what else would we play? We'd make up little games with our bikes and, you know, roller skates and... Uh, we'd do synchronised swimming, we'd play all sorts of games, you know, out in the surf at at Robe and um, I was always the one sort of leading the way. I'd be, you know, making up the routines or I'd be the one on my own in basketball versus Abby and Jack and then there came a point where suddenly Abby shot up and was really tall and then next minute Jack was just dominating and so he ended up being on his own against Abby and I and um, sort of there was that changing of the reins but we always... um, I guess there was a competitive rivalry rivalry between us, but more so we were um, hoping to get the best out of ourselves to compete against our peers. So before a cross-country or a sports day, we'd sort of get out and train and hope to win maybe our age group trophies or whatnot. So it never got too vicious um, amongst um, the three of us. We more just um, helped each other to train to be better. <laughs> and I came across a, across a story about... You made a homemade discus um, <laughs> out from a, a house sports event. Can you t- talk us through that? 
Yeah. Um, so sports day at primary school was, was huge. We loved it. We were um, all in Cameron, the yellow team, and they had an age group trophy. So you had to try and accumulate points across all of the events. And uh, I guess we naturally um, had success in the, the running and, um, you know, Abby and Jack were both really good at high jump. I loved sort of the long and triple jump and whatnot, but throws was a bit of a, uh, a weakness. So we um, cut out a couple of pieces of cardboard and um, masking tape, um, sealed half of it with masking tape and then filled it with sand and weighed it until it was the right um, the right weight and then sealed it all up and went over to the, the park and threw the discus around to sort of train for sports day. So we were pretty keen at the age of... I would have been 12, Abby 10, and Jack 8. So <laughs> That's great. You rose to prominence in 2010 and 2011 with some wins in Adelaide, Melbourne, and Sydney. Were these defining moments in your career? Yeah, look, I'd say my first ever City Bay Fun Run win in 2010 was a really special moment. Um, that, I guess, was an event that I used to, I think in year 12, I remember hearing about it and um, my sister and I signed up and sort of walked, jogged to the 12K and, you know, I, I fell in love with the event. So it was a real honour to win that. But it was probably the following year in 2011 winning the City to Surf um, event in Sydney, which attracts like 60,000 people. It's a, a really big fun run over um, 14 kilometres and winning that was, um, yeah, at that point in time was, you know, one of the biggest accomplishments Um I'd achieved in running and I was just absolutely buzzing after that. I can remember going for a jog the next day. Just for me, it was like my Olympic gold at the time. I was so excited. So they were um, significant events that really just fueled my um, desire to, to keep working hard and, and see what I could, you know, um, what I could achieve. I certainly wasn't at that point thinking that the Olympics would be a possibility, but I was just really open to whatever was <laughs> out there and you've alerted to the fact that you finished your first marathon at the age of 24 in 2012 how satisfying was this just to complete a marathon yeah well that's the beauty of a marathon I guess is um accomplishing the distance is in in itself a, a huge I guess and satisfying achievement so I um, ran my first run in Japan in a city called Nagoya it's a women's only marathon and it was a flat, fast course, cool conditions, um, and my coach had specifically chosen that event um, for me to attempt a, an Olympic marathon qualifier. So I had to run under two hours and 32 minutes to put myself in the running for the Olympics, which was uh, 3.34 um, average kilometres, three minutes and 34 seconds. So I just went into it thinking, look, there's nothing to lose here. I'd been training hard. Um, and yeah, when I crossed the line and not only was about to finish my first marathon, but to see that I had snuck in under two hours and 32 minutes, it was very, very satisfying. And I pulled up very sore the next day. <laughs> yeah, I could imagine. In 2012, you were selected to represent Australia at the London Olympics. Can you describe the feeling when you found out you were going and what was it like to realise what I imagine was a pretty big dream of yours? Yeah, it was, it was phenomenal. I had a bit of a nervous wait. So that Nagoya marathon was in early March of 2012 and another Australian girl was um, 
attempting to run a qualifier in late April. So two girls already had the qualifying time and each country can only take three athletes. So if this girl would have run faster than me, you know, that was my spot in the team gone. So I remember the, the day that she was running her marathon, I was pretty nervous and um, I managed to keep my sort of third ranking after that. And then I just had a, a nervous wait to get the phone call from Athletics Australia. And I remember I was in bank at the time like in a meeting and I saw um, one of the Athletics Australia staff was calling me and I was like sorry I just need to step out for a moment and um, yeah they they told me that I'd been selected for the Olympics and it was I guess yeah it was a childhood dream come true and I couldn't wait to call my family members and to tell them um, and then the next couple of months were chaotic because you're suddenly filling out a million forms, you know, uniform sizing, all of the athlete agreements. There's um, media, um, I guess, requests and whatnot that um, you need to sort of balance with. At the time, I was working full-time in the physio. So I actually found the next couple of months really stressful, um, balancing those commitments with training and got to a pre-Olympic camp in um, Tosh just outside of London and um, just was able to relax, get excited for the games. Um, yeah, just enjoy know the team and, and put the finishing touch on my... That was a huge curve, just, you know, getting to the Olympics and, and learning what it's like to sort of juggle um, lots of commitments with your training. <laughs> yeah. And on the actual experience... What were things like the opening and closing ceremonies like? We watch them as fans on TV and they look like amazing spectacles. To be actually in the stadium when it's happening, um, how amazing was that? Yeah, it was funny. So we were at that camp I was telling you about. It was an hour out of London. So we caught a bus into the athletes' village, checked into the village, um, or, you know, had a a meal in the um, dining hall, which was my first experience in the Olympic dining hall, which was amazing. <laughs> they have like, every country's cuisine, it's this huge room and you've got like the dream team and then little gymnasts and you know, all sorts of athletes walking around. And um, we ended up standing outside of the stadium for hours waiting for all the pre sort of ceremony stuff. And then, um, Eventually, the athlete parade started and Australia, fortunately, sort of up the front. So, walked into the stadium and you couldn't actually see any people. You could just see blue lights everywhere. So, you could sort of hear this noise and just see blue lights everywhere. We did our lap. And then we waited until, I think it was 1am in the middle of the Oval. Um, they ended up having the Spice Girls and a few others, you know, in the middle of the Oval as entertainment and then caught the bus back to the camp. So, we got back to camp at about 3am and this was a week before my race so it was incredible but I was starting to get pretty nervous knowing that you know my race was the the whole reason I was there and you know this had been a pretty late night but I wouldn't have missed it it was incredible <laughs> yeah absolutely and you won bronze in the Commonwealth Games of 2014 can you talk us through the emotions of this and how gratifying was it to see your hard work paying off yeah, 2014 Com Games was a really special one and that is still one of my favourite race um, experiences crossing that line and, uh, yeah, my first, I guess, Commonwealth Games and, and to win a medal after what was a pretty challenging build-up. I'd had a um, stress fracture in one of my toe bones uh, leading up, so I'd 
had to prepare in a really different way, incorporating a lot of cross training, um, you know, on the rowing ergo, the elliptical, I was doing boxing and swimming, all sorts. And it wasn't the most enjoyable training at times. You know, I, I love running because I get to be outdoors and with my team. And anyway, um, I was out there on course. I was in fourth position and I think I had about four kilometres left to go and someone in the crowd yelled out, you know, you could, you know, get a bronze medal. And I didn't really know what they were on about and came around a bend and saw the Namibian athlete ahead of me was slowing. And from that point onwards, I just had to be patient and slowly work up to the my way to the back of her. And, and at the point where I actually passed her, my... Um, mum and dad and brother and some family friends were sort of standing there cheering and so that was really cool uh had the final couple of kilometers not looking back just thinking come on you can do this hang in there and um I just burst into tears when I crossed the line because I I think just that yeah as I said it was a, a tough build up and um I really wasn't expecting to come away from that race with a medal so um I loved it <laughs> You once again represented Australia at the 2016 Rio de Janeiro Olympics. How did this compare to London having had that prior experience with um, just knowing what to expect? Did you feel better prepared, I suppose? Uh, I'd love to say yes, and mentally I was. So, you know, that was four years later, so I'd experienced a lot more races. I'd built um, mental and physical resilience. I had a lot more, I guess, strategies up my sleeve for when the going got tough during the race. I knew the team members, so I sort of walked into the village and felt right at home and knew how to really make the most of every second um, in the Olympic Village. But I'd had another stress fracture in the other foot uh, leading up to Rio. I was able to, I guess, manage it um, straight from the get-go because I'd experienced it in 2014. Uh, my brother Jack had been an incredible mentor um, in 2014 and helped me to sort of get my head around it. So, yeah, basically got stuck into the cross-training in 2016, went to the Olympics feeling ready but um, not as ready as I would have hoped. Uh, I ended up tripping in training on the Thursday. The race was on the Sunday and I'm landing on a metal like hurdle leg and gouging my um, quad and so that caused um, a bit of pain and um, anxiety because I wasn't able to train until I did a bit of a jog just the day before my race I'd basically been focusing on getting that wound healed and lined up on race day just thinking let's just have a crack and I finished 20 second which got upgraded to 21st when someone tested positive one of the medalists um out of 156 and in london i'd finished 39th out of 118 so i i placed higher uh i was proud of the way i pushed through a lot of pain in rio um but i hadn't quite had the prep that i'd been hoping for yeah and a couple of years later we there was obviously the commonwealth games this time and home soil on the Gold Coast where you won another bronze, establishing as one of the best female marathon runners in the world. How amazing was this to achieve such a great achievement again and do it on home soil? Yeah, and that it's another one of my favourite race experiences, that 2018 Com Games. I had my whole family there, um, you know, my niece, my 
um, work colleagues, friends from school, uni, um, and then just the whole sort of Australian community out there. So the race was quite strategic. Um, I'd had the best preparation um, I'd ever had. I was really happy with the training I'd been able to achieve, sort of ticking off some 180 to 200 kilometre weeks, which was new for me and some good sessions. And so the race started really slowly um, because it was hot and a bit humid. I decided to sort of push the pace early on because I was feeling comfortable and I didn't want to leave it to a kick down in the final, you know, five kilometres or so. Uh, but got to sort of seven kilometres to go and I was feeling empty. I was in fourth place at the time and thinking, I, t- I don't know if I'm actually going to finish. I really, I'd never felt that empty in a race before. Um, I had to pull out some of my, I guess, visualisation skills and draw on all of the motivation and inspiration from the Aussie supporters out on course and ended up sort of keeping my momentum going and um, the Kenyan athlete ahead of me ended up falling back and I got into that bronze medal position again and really just had to hold on. Like there was no, um, you know, kick down at the finish for me. It was just get one foot in front of the other and survive. And um, I got to the finish line and it was incredible having my family there to celebrate with and and friends and uh, just... Yeah, that race on home soil, I think, will always be one of my (laughs) favourites. Being a marathon runner involves an incredible amount of dedication and commitment. How hard is it to stay motivated and how do you find ways to maintain the drive and the will just to keep going, especially when it gets tough? Yeah, look, my motivation ebbs and flows like I'm sure anyone's does. Um, You really do have to know why you run. Um, For me... I love, you know, the health and the fitness aspect of it. It it helps me to be a better person. I think it gives me confidence. It helps me to feel positive and and um, strong and um, I guess fuels that belief that if you put your mind to something, you, you can, you know, really achieve beyond what you ever thought posi- possible. I also really love the opportunity to inspire others to be active and enjoy the benefits of running. So. I always sort of bring it back to that. Um, I write my goals down in my training journal and uh, I occasionally just need to, you know, sit down and and look through that or organise a a chat with, you know, my coach, other mentors, friends, family members when I'm lacking motivation just to um, remind myself of why I do it and what I'm working towards. I also find um, talking at schools really motivating and seeing the kids' faces light up and reading autobiographies and listening to podcasts are other strategies I use to fire myself up some days. And typically it'll be if you're feeling sleep-deprived, which is um, a little more common these days with a, with a baby. It's harder to um, get good sleep. So um, recognising why you might be lacking motivation um, and another reason is when it's freezing outside, I find it a little bit harder to get out the door, which is, you know, that's winter. But <laughs> and you're also a physio. Do you find this helps your performance, having such an in-depth knowledge about what your body's going through on a run? Yeah, that really has helped me. So within a race, um, if something starts to 
fatigue or or hurt just knowing what part of the body that is what its function is and what I might be able to do to offload that area is really helpful and then just in my day-to-day training if I'm in a session and something starts to um, I guess niggle I know generally whether it's something I need to stop for or whether I can push through it a little bit uh, and just, you know, the rehab from injuries and whatnot. And it's helped me as a physio also experiencing these injuries as well. I can relate to clients and I'm really, I guess, grateful that I did choose that as my career because it's helped my running a lot. Yeah, definitely. And Ben and I are PE students ourselves in year 12 and you sort of learn about prolonged submaximal exercise and that kind of thing and potentially going into fats and proteins is that something you can feel during a run and do you feel that decrease in intensity i think you don't always really well it depends how big the drop in pace is and whether it's a proper like hitting the wall you've yeah. gone into extreme depletion or whether it's just slowly starting to um kick in I think what you'll notice is that your effort's still there but your pace if you're looking at your your watch which is Garmin watch and seeing the the time slowing and your effort's still there um but there are occasions where typically around the 37 kilometer mark in a marathon you can experience that real um you know depletion in in um, important carbohydrates, which um, typically would happen if you perhaps haven't been getting your drinks or your gels in throughout the race. So there's an opportunity at every five kilometres at the key marathon events where you can take on a gel or, you know, electrolytes, carbohydrates, and, and it's so important for those later stages in the race to, to keep them up. And glycogen sparing's something that we've learnt about. Is that something that you you can use to your advantage or yeah so um basically like the people who take on the high fat diets i think that's for lower intensity exercise as far as the research goes it's still best to take on carbs as fuel for high intensity exercise and when you're trying to run a fast marathon it's sort of considered higher intensity so if you can um, load up your stores as much as possible in the, the days leading up to the race, the, the theory is that you'll be able to tap into those st- stores throughout the race when you do become depleted. So I do um, do a carbohydrate load in the two days leading up, which my sports dietitian has formulated with and for me and we've tweaked it over the years. So I've done 12 marathons now and I initially used to, you know, just load up on any carbs. But these days I do a lower fibre or a low res um, carb load, which means taking on all of the white things like white rice, white bread, um, you know, norm, like white pasta or non-wholemeal pasta and trying to avoid the starchy vegetables and whatnot, which typically isn't a good diet. But before a marathon, it can really help you to stay um, feeling light and, you know, you're sort of burning what you're taking in rather than having it sitting in your stomach and drawing in all of the fluids. So uh, the nutrition side of things and the glycogen sparing and um, all of those, I guess, terms, my sports dietitian and um, my exercise physiologist have sort of helped to devise a plan that works for me. Yep. And as you mentioned a little earlier, you recently became a mother. 
How have you found this has affected your training schedule and how do you keep a healthy balance between training, work and being a mother? Uh, it's, it's incredible being a mother. I absolutely love it. And Billy's, um, he's seven and a half months old now and uh, I just yeah, love every day hanging out with him. Logistically, it's become a lot more challenging um, achieving my training. So my current routine is I wake up and and feed him and I'm still breastfeeding which um, places a lot of stress on your body because he's obviously taking a lot of the nutrients um, from me so I need to make sure I'm consuming a lot in my diet Um, things like um, you know calcium and whatnot which are important for bone density um, which if you don't have good bone density you're more susceptible to stress fractures and whatnot so I need to just be really on top of you know calcium iron all of those things. So I'll feed him in the morning, head out for my key session and then come back and, and um, you know, feed him again and then he has his sleep. And then in the afternoon, you know, we go through that routine again. I head out for my second run. And fortunately, um, Dylan's been home a lot more um, throughout this coronavirus period. He's been working from home. So he's been able to um, look after Billy um, most of the time, but we have a, a babysitter for a couple of the key sessions. And, and as Dylan goes back to the workplace, um, we'll be needing to have someone, yeah, look after Billy throughout, um, my key training, um, sessions. And it just involves being really organized. I never, I guess, had really thought about everything that's involved with making sure you got the nappies and the wipes and the, you know, the, the toys and whatnot packed and getting the pram in and out of the car. It's uh, certainly a juggle. And in terms of work, I'm not actually doing physio work at the moment. I'm more um, focusing on other work opportunities like talks and um, some of my ambassador roles. And the Tokyo Olympics have obviously been pushed back due to the coronavirus. How have you managed this period in isolation and how have you, how has it changed your running schedule yeah look I initially was planning to run a marathon in the end of April and my dream was to get an Olympics qualifying time which would have been under two hours 29 minutes and 30 seconds it's it's come down over the years um that race was cancelled I think in about mid-March and so I was madly trying to look for other race opportunities and they were all getting cancelled, you know, one after the other. So then I was looking at Australian races and soon enough they were cancelled. So there was a period where I just had no opportunity to run a marathon before the Olympics qualifying um, window um, was cut off, which was the end of May. Um, But then it was announced in, I think... April no 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 earlier than that maybe March that the Olympics would be postponed so suddenly I was like well that's um potentially opening a window for me to try and run a marathon at least within the qualifying window so I took a break um I was feeling pretty um exhausted with all of the training and and mothering Billy so took it easy for a couple of weeks and then I've slowly been building up again and I'm yeah at sort of a pretty full training load now um, just waiting for races to start up again yeah and are you a believer in that anyone can run a marathon if they put their minds to it or is it something that requires a unique ability to stay dedicated and committed look I think some people's um, probably injury histories or um, physical makeup or 
um, other life commitments probably stop them from being able to um, get the most out of their training. So I think anyone could, you know, set their mind on a marath- to a marathon goal and, and go out there and train, but you really need to be able to, you know, rest and recover in between and, um, you know, avoid getting injured and sick and um some people with their commitments outside of running that's just really difficult to achieve so I think anyone can walk jog it um but it probably takes yeah a few other factors um for someone to be able to complete a marathon running the whole way um you really do need to get the training um in (laughs) and just to finish off we've got a listener question here from one of our teachers Mr Monk who's a very keen and dedicated runner himself. He says, is the Tokyo Olympics plan marathon still a good idea in light of the world championships debacle? Um, so the world championships have been pushed to 2022. Um, so they'll now be a week before the Commonwealth Games. So that's um, really challenging for a lot of athletes, particularly marathoners, because you're not going to run a marathon one week after um, the other so people will the Commonwealth athletes will need to choose between the world championships in um, Oregon in the US versus the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham so I at the moment am focusing on trying to qualify for the Olympics next year the following year um, will be yeah a whole new ball game it'll be interesting um, to see what athletes choose to do uh, because I guess within the Commonwealth you have a higher chance of placing highly and maybe getting a medal, but the world championships is, you know, against the whole world. And it's, um, you know, it, it's pretty special to be able to line up against every country. So, uh, yeah, it's a good question. <laughs> Absolutely. And he's also got another one. Um, he just is after your thoughts on Elliot Kipchoge's feats. Yeah. Look, Ellie's incredible. Um, I've heard of people like a massage therapist um, I met at the Toronto Marathon in 2018 who have actually visited his camp in in a tent and um, basically said he's a very generous, humble man and, um, you know, he kind of exudes that in everything you see of him and he's so consistent. I admire his humility, his consistency, his love for the sport and... uh, the way he inspires the people around him. Uh, I thought it might take a bit longer to see a a sub two hour marathon uh, that, yeah, just for him to be able to execute those races, the first attempt and then the second one, the way he did. I know there are a lot of conditions that were conducive to a good performance and, um, you know, it meant that it wasn't legal, but even so, like whatever shoes you're running in, whatever people you have breaking the wind and, you know, the carbs you're getting on board throughout the race, like it's it's a phenomenal human feat. <laughs> and I'd imagine he's someone that you and a lot of other marathoners use as a source of inspiration. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Kipchoge's, uh, I, I've, yeah, I'm stoked that he's at his peak in my um, whilst you know I'm active in my career because he yeah. is very inspirational and you know breaking down barriers definitely yeah. well Jess that's all we've got for you we can't thank you enough for coming on we know you're pretty busy so we really appreciate it 
Oh, thank you. It's, it's been really enjoyable chatting to you and I look forward to listening to the podcast on my next run. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Episode 37 of the Chewy On Your Boot podcast. Once again, thanks to Jess for coming on. We really appreciate her time. Stay tuned for more episodes. Enjoy. <laughs>